Light the Fight podcast coming to you from Salt Lake City, but in our minds we're in Tahiti. This is Dave Koslowski with me as always. Anywhere but Salt Lake City, right? Well, Tahiti's got great surf, it's warm. Have you been there? No, I haven't, but I've seen <laughs> lots of videos and pictures. So in my mind, I, I surf Pillow Peak every single night. <laughs> being a surfer from Southern California, that's the only dream I have is surfing and being on the beach and eating delicious foods that they haven't they haven't quite made here in Utah yet. I don't understand. I mean, I've never surfed. And so I don't really I don't really understand it, but surfers are like so into it. It's like a, a religion. <laughs> I don't get it. I mean, you know, I can't relate. Well I, I mean think, I like the beach. Yeah. Um so water. Some people like water. Yeah. <laughs> and some people are familiar with how much water is in our body, how much water is on the planet. Oh, um, so it's part of you. For me, with without getting too like, hey, bro, like surfer <laughs> on you, which I will in a little bit. I mean, I'm I'm part Polynesian, um, according to ancestor DNA, thirty percent Polynesian, and I'm thirty percent, well, mixed. It's Native American Mexican. And uh, just so happens the type of Native American Mexican I come from, we're all coastal Native American, meaning Native Mexican Americans. Mm. And so it's definitely in my dinner to be <laughs> in the ocean. But I don't think it has to be. Just in, your... in case you're wondering, that was a Zootopia reference. That's a Zootopia reference. That was my favorite yeah. show. Oh, that's my favorite part of the show. My favorite part is when they're like, we settled. We settled hard. <laughs> you remember <laughs> that part? They're settlers. like, lower your expectations. Oh, yeah. So, but being from the, the beach and having in the, in my biology, it definitely was an attraction. But I think for most surfers, it's, it's that mystery. When you're sitting on the ocean, you're not staring at the beach. You're staring at the horizon. It's pretty humbling. I mean, the water, I mean, you've been to the beach and you know, everyone's had that three foot wave that's three foot wave that slammed them. And they're like, wow, that was really powerful. Well, as a surfer, you know, you're on the land, you're going to your job, you're doing your thing, you're growing up. But when you're in the ocean, there's prehistoric animals in the ocean that could eat you, first of all. <laughs> and then there's an ocean that's so large that you're looking at the, just the horizon and you realize how small you are. And for me, and I think a lot of surfers, when they talk about it, that's something that's really important for us to connect with nature so that we see that we are a small piece of something so much bigger. Our personal day-to-day -day lives, we get so consumed with family, stress, and struggles. So surfers have this love-hate relationship with the ocean. And anyone who's ever dated or been in a relationship with a surfer knows that when they say they're going surfing, they can't really tell you exactly when they'll be back. Because <laughs> sometimes the waves don't come. If you're a snowboarder and a skier, you go up on the mountain and you do as many runs as you can. The surfer, you could surf for two hours and you may actually only stand on your surfboard for 20 seconds. I've surfed for two hours where I only stood on my surfboard for five seconds. You're just you're just chasing that one moment, that little bit of dopamine because you got up. So for me, the ocean is huge. And I know a lot of people out there, the ocean is huge. Some people, it's the mountains is the same thing. Right. They get that Rocky Mountain high or they get that ocean high. So, so But really, the, the reality is that there's something that you do physically that benefits you mentally, emotionally, okay. and spiritually. Right? And I mean, this is something that... I've been thinking about a lot and I've been talking about, speaking about in, a, in, in different capacities, um, just how we cannot deny 
that, you know, here we are, and, and, and I feel like the whole world has erupted in, we got to talk about mental health. And I don't know if that's just me and my, like, all the Autobots on Facebook are like, she wants to talk about, so you know, so like all that information is funneling down to me. Come, like, yeah. yeah. Um, Do one hashtag mental health and next thing you know, you get all these it's ads about It's true. And I just think that we when we talk about mental health, we can't just talk about mental health. It's all it's all so connected. And so knowing that about yourself, that surfing is the is one of the things or an, an important thing that calms you, grounds you, reconnects you with who you are, where you're coming, where you're going so that you can so that when it's rough, you know how to appease that. Super important. Sucks to live in Utah for you. Yeah. Well, I've almost <laughs> I've almost drowned a number of times, and the first fear that I intentionally faced was an experience after I'd almost drowned. And I remember coming home. Um, it it rattled me because I, I I've actually blacked out. So what happened was I went underneath the water. It wasn't an exceptionally big day, but there's really bad undertow. And I went underneath the water, and I was getting bounced around. But I went underneath the water without being able to take a breath. I wiped out and I didn't get a breath. So I was out of breath when I went under and I got held down. Well, I started swimming frantically and my normal response or reaction to being under the water too long was to panic. And I panicked and I started swimming as hard as I could and then I hit a hard surface. Mm. I was swimming in the wrong direction. And when I hit the bottom, I was out of air completely. And the panic of, oh my gosh, I'm gonna die. And I was about 14 years old, 13, 14. And I remember turning around and pushing off the bottom with everything that I had. And I was just coming to the top. I opened up my eyes and I misjudged when the top of the water was because it started to clear up. And I saw the top and I went to take a, dig, a big deep breath thinking I was coming out of the water and I inhaled water and I was about three feet still from the surface. Oh my gosh. So I was out of breath, I inhaled water and I came up and blacked out. The next thing I remember and recall, I was laying on the beach throwing up. There was no one else surfing around me. I mean, there was like two guys out there, but they had no idea this was happening to me. I remember my dad came to pick me up. He was like a couple blocks away on the side of the hill where he could see me. He's probably reading a book. He had no idea. I'm on the sand throwing up, barfing. I'm looking around, lightheaded. And I remember going home, telling him what had happened. And he was an amazing swimmer, a collegiate swimmer. He could hold his breath forever. He's, you know, a frogman for a little while in the Navy, which is like what they used to call Navy SEALs. And so he gave me this little thing to go in the pool, uh, our community pool, and to go underneath the water. And that I was just gonna try to go down the bottom of the deep end and sit there and hold my breath and just try to relax. And he said, your goal is you're gonna wanna try to fall asleep under the water. And I thought he was just, I didn't think he was being serious. And he goes, because if you can slow your heart rate down enough and you can calm yourself and you're not as scared of the water, then when you're out in the ocean, he said, because if you panic, you're going to drown, son. And I knew he was right because I experienced it. And I knew I shouldn't panic, but I still did. But this was the time I almost died from panicking. It happened to me many times. I was always scared of not being able to breathe. And that's early childhood trauma. We won't get into that right now. <laughs> so what happened was... I remember every single day that summer, there was a time in the afternoon where there's really no one in the pool and I'd just go there, go down the bottom. And I remember at first I'd sit there and I'd close my eyes and I'd open up my eyes. I kept on thinking I had to have my eyes open because I was gonna drown. 
every single day doing it, doing it, doing it. And then one day at the end of the day, um, my dad knew I was doing this and he came out to, to get me. And he said he was talking to a neighbor and he saw me go down again for a breath. And so he just kind of assumed I was going down to take a breath and I'd be back up in a second. So the, the neighbor, the, the Singh family, they're talking and he kept on looking over and he, he saw this happen. But I was underneath the water and I got so calm and so comfortable and I was tired from a long day, I actually started to doze off. And to the best of my knowledge, I don't know if I thought I fell asleep. I don't know if it was one of those like meditative states where my heart rate was so low, I just wasn't even worried about breathing. And when I finally came up, I remember I woke up and realized, oh, I gotta come up for air. I don't know if it was a real waking, it was kind of a weird feeling. And I came up to my dad standing at the top of the pool with his eyes wide open. He was like, you were underwater for at least five minutes. You are kidding. And I looked at him and I looked at me, and I'm like, dad, I think I fell asleep underwater. And it was this proud moment of him. And at that moment, I let go of my, it was the weirdest thing. You know, like Batman in the movie where he's scared of bats. Have you, ever, <laughs> you guys ever seen that? When I saw the movie, I was like, I did that. Like, I feel like you watch either different movies than me or way more movies than me or something. Well, that's part of the story of Batman. If you're familiar with the comic book, he was, you know, scared of bats because, you know, some stuff happened. And so he wanted to face his fear. So I did this intentionally. And it was just one of those experiences in life where you're up against danger. You almost really experience a bad situation. And then I intentionally went back to do it. I didn't always do that in my life, face danger like that. But I always remembered that I could. And ironically, the ocean, like a lot of tough struggles in life, as beautiful as it is, it's extraordinarily dangerous. And if you are not prepared to hold your breath underneath the water, you have no business surfing. That is, it, it's, it's, it would be crazy to think that you're scared of the water and you can't hold your breath and go surfing. The chances of bad things happening are really good. So I always remembered that and I always took away from that. And when you brought up the talk about mental health, it's interesting you said that because it, it, it went into something, and I'm going to elaborate on this. It, what you brought up and what I just got done talk about went into something that is counterintuitive, much like our podcast has been a lot for people when we give this information. Um, so I was listening to a podcast today, and it reminded me of something I heard a long time ago. And I didn't realize that our podcast actually did this, but you said mental health. You know, you get all these conversations, mental health, mental health, mental health. Well, a long time ago, I remember hearing the, the story of how Einstein um, had came across the theory of relativity, how, how he'd figured this out. Now, I'm not going to get in the details what was going on in the science community at that time, but I listened to a podcast this morning and someone referenced the story. I was like, that's right. I remember this story from a long time ago. And the gist of the story was everyone in the science community at that particular time was trying to solve this issue with light and the, the ether behind, I forget, it was, I forget the whole details of it, but all these scientists were having this discussion and they were debating back and forth. Much like today in our, in our society, a lot of people are debating back and forth on very strong topics, whether it be politics, um, religion. But in our realm, we see a lot of this battle with mental health and it being a shameful thing. So a lot of people who have crossed over that threshold and they've really overcome their struggles with mental health. They're on one side and people on the other side, um, and I know this sounds bad to say, but there's a lot of people on the other side of the conversation that don't wanna hear about mental health. 
They don't want to hear about depression is the problem. They go, no, that's not it. It's, it's not anxiety. It's not this. People just need to toughen up. And they don't want to have a conversation about mental health. And other people have ever screamed the conversation about mental health. Well, going back to the Einstein story, when he came up with the theory of relativity, and not when he came up with it, but basically when he presented it, was there was all this discussion in the science community, people arguing. And they asked Einstein and said, what do you think about it? And he was like, eh, I'm not really interested in that. And everybody's shocked, like, what do you mean you're not interested in this? Like, you have to have, they, they wanted him to be on one side or the other side because that's where the tribes were forming in this debate. And he goes, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in this over here about relativity. People are like, wait, what? And then he created a whole different conversation. So all the questions and the arguments that were once the pinnacle of this fight back and forth of disagreement, he went in a different direction and it opened up new conversations. He's here, here's a couple ideas that are completely outside of your conversation. And it turns out everybody abandoned that argument and that conversation because they realized that there was a different angle and a different approach. So I learned about this a long time ago and I didn't know this much evolution had came to this idea, but I was listening to a podcast today and the guy presented it and he goes, I'm taking an orthogonal approach. I've never even heard that word. Okay. So here's where this word comes from. It's a math word. So I just gave you the description of the, the story with Einstein. So people are arguing different. They're arguing a conversation and they both have different points. So imagine a straight line between two different topic points. So let's use mental health. Specifically, that's what we were just talking about. So on one side of this line, so one end of the line, people are saying that the suicide epidemic, all these things that are happening right now is a mental health problem and that we need to stop the stigma of mental health. We need to face our shame and um, we need to do all these things, but mostly it's around we need to accept we, how we serious. need money. We need we money need. for research. Exactly. That's a, that's a big conversation because we so, don't know enough about it. So, so mental health advocates such as myself for many years and people who have lost loved ones suicide or if they've gone through counseling, they're no longer embarrassed or ashamed about it. They're saying we need to take mental health more serious. And people on the other side of the spectrum don't like the stigma that comes with mental health and so they're not funding it the way people fund medical health they're not seeing it as for example because you frankly can't see it yeah <laughs> see how many how many fortune 500 and multi-billion dollar companies are backing mental health none there might be I, maybe there's one <laughs> or two but then say how many um for example the nfl there's a time of the season where everybody wears pink on their cleats, mm -hmm. on their wristbands, on their helmets for cancer. Great cause. But I know a lot of mental health people are angry and frustrated, not that they're in a competition with cancer, but they would like people to see the numbers and the statistics of how this is taking lives, how this is affecting lives, how this is increasing the opiate epidemic, how it's increasing addiction and all these other things. So on one side, you have the people who are like, frustrated and angry that other people aren't taking this serious. And on the other side, you have people trying to validate, oh, that's not really, you know, that's not the, you know, that's not important. Maybe they don't say it's not important because that would sound really bad, but they're not taking the actions. So an orthogonal. It, plus it's harder. See where I'm coming from? It's yeah. harder. It's, it's less secure 
of for companies to back something that has a because lot of because you can't you can't see it under a microscope. Yeah, it's you know you can't, you can't touch, see it you on an X-ray. You can't get a test and 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 find a metric. So it's well, hard. And and mental health professionals such as myself would argue, well, yeah, you can. We have statistics. The problem is it's not making enough noise. It's not making the progress that we'd like. Not to discount, there's not progress. So there's a straight line. On one end, you have the soldiers, you have the warriors of mental health, you know, and they're pushing that they're pushing that topic for good reason. And on the other hand, you have the resistance, you have the doubt, and you have the overall discount. Discount and dismissal of that being a major issue. Whether it's gun control, suicide, whatever it may be. So if this is a straight line and one tribe or community argument is on one side and the other tribe or community is on the other side. An orthogonal approach is you take a straight line and you divide it in two and you go north and south away from the parallel argument. So what happens is it creates a 90 degree angle. The way this was explained to me the first time is with chess and with checkers. You have a square and if you were to move at an angle off that 90 degree angle, it connects to another square. So what Einstein did was he said, I'm not interested in that conversation. I'm interested in a whole nother conversation. When people looked at relativity versus what everybody else was talking about, it created a different opportunity to create a bigger solution. So instead of us saying, hey, the people of mental health are, you know, they're wrong, because they're obviously not wrong, and the people over here are resistant, they should stop being resistant. Those conversations are so hard to convince people that maybe if you're yelling at the rooftops how angry you are that people aren't taking mental health serious, maybe that's not the best approach to create change. And over here, maybe if you're dismissing that mental health is an issue, that's not going to create change. But if we take an an orthogonal approach, what you do is, I know it's a big, heavy word, what you do Can is you please Google it, Brandon? Orthogonal. Yeah. So, so that I can name this podcast orthogonal? We don't need to name it orthogonal. What we need to name <laughs> it is, you know, taking it. It's, it's a different angle. So imagine okay. there's a T, right? So now we take an orthogonal approach and we end up having a conversation that's outside of mental health and it's outside of the resistance of mental health and it's called social health. If social health is what I believe it is. Now you can, anyone listen to this, just Google the definition of social health. There's not actually a lot out there, but a couple will come up. It's the essence of human beings connecting effectively with other human beings. Human beings for thousands of years have basically been dependent on our survival and our growth on social survival. We've talked about this with Lost Connections. We've talked about this with other books that we've referenced. And Research out there all points in one direction. Our brains have evolved to be more social because when you're more socially connected, you have more chances to survive because there's a community working for the same survival. People that were socially minded were more likely to survive. People that wanted to go off on their own in the wilderness did not do well in the wilderness thousands of years ago without other people. So when I'm referring to an orthogonal approach, I'm not saying this is not a mental health problem. I'm not saying that the people who don't want to give validation to the mental health issues in our country are wrong because they don't think they have mental health issues or because they think something different. 
I think that the conversation has sputtered and it's coming to a really sticky point where there's not a lot of room in that conversation anymore. So when we introduce an orthogonal approach, which is basically what this podcast is, is we're saying, let's take a line and go north and south. So instead of going east and west, now we're at a different destination. If you were to change the course of something by one inch, if you drive 100 miles, it's no longer one inch. The gap is really big. So with human beings, our social survival throughout thousands of years has now been evolved to a technological survival. We use technology to survive in a whole different way. I see, and this is just where I'm coming from, that technology has exposed our social ills as human beings. I don't think that racism and bigotry and ignorance and shaming was invented with Twitter <laughs> and Instagram. It's just makes it so easy. <laughs> it put it underneath a magnifying glass for everyone to see. Yeah. Kids can press send and expose family secrets. Maybe it's exaggerated, but they're exposing things. And so now And you can and you can not only that, but you can learn so many more things and gain so many more perspectives. I mean, how many times have you read a thread on Twitter and it went into a direction that you had never even thought about? Somebody who has Maybe it's off base. Maybe it's right on. Maybe it's a perspective that you really had to, you know, look at in a different way. But, but it there's way more perspectives, way more thoughts, opinions, ideas in the mix now. I, I agree. And so parents can't control the narrative so, as easily. So that lends itself to what I was about to say. Our social evolution is happening too slow and our technological evolution is happening so fast that one, it is exposing our social ills, our lack of social health that's always been there. But what it's also doing is it's making us improve social, our social health because if we don't, like all evolution, we die. You have to evolve. Twitter and Instagram and all these companies, they're making some change with their privacy policy lately. Have you noticed that when you log right. on? Yeah. It's as if we sold our attention and our information to them without even telling them we gave them permission. They're asking us for stuff I'm like, wait a second. I, I never even told you I was okay with you knowing where I spent a hotel last night, where I eat at. How did you? And then we're starting to realize, wow. Now, I'm not blaming them because free markets is, hey, you know, you didn't, you're, you didn't give it to us. Well, now we're realizing that we have to do better with that. So our desire to connect with other human beings is so intense. I call it everyone's first addiction is connection. Our most powerful addiction is connection. That technology gave us connection, but we didn't realize at what price. Well, well it had never existed. It had I mean, never existed. We, we are so, we're not even in, we're not even, we're barely, we're not even close to being toddlers. I mean, this. I can imagine that when TV was invented, that it struck a lot, you know, it brought up a lot of things. It created some new concerns. And, um, you know, that was a big jump from a radio to a TV. You, you know, so it's not like the evolution has never been there. It's just happening very, very fast. Exactly. So it's, again, it's, it's 
we're on the same page because when you brought up radio to TV, this podcast is proof that certain things do go back to the future. So right now, podcasting is taking up more space. Five years ago, everybody was betting that video was going to dominate. I believed it. YouTube was showing that that's the direction. And it has done a lot of great things with innovation. You can see things. Mm-hmm. But what we didn't see coming was that we were returning back to a radio format where we can sit there and allow someone to talk to us. The power of listening has reemerged. People are so busy nowadays, so much coming and going. How many people spend endless amounts of hours of their life in traffic and driving? We can only listen to so many songs for so long. Unless you're my daughters. Unless you're your daughters. <laughs> but we can't read books while we're driving. We can't read books while we're gardening. You know, when we did the post about what, what do you like to do when you're listening to podcasts. So it allows us to take in information and it allows us to learn about important things to us without disrupting our normal day-to-day life. So when I talk about social survival and I talk about technological survival, technology, I think, unfortunately, and I want to ref- this, this whole topic, I was hoping to get back to our Instagram and our social media posts that we posted this past weekend. And so everything that's happening right now with our podcast is taking the approach that we do not feel that the conversations about parent-child relationships, husband-wife relationships, family relationships can stay the same conversations we've had in the past. They have to evolve. And in order for them to evolve, we're going to have to stop having the back and forth conversations and we're going to have to go 3D because that's what orthogonal is. Orthogonal took a 2D perception and it said, what if we looked at it looking down on it versus looking straight at it? When you have a 3D perception of something, your mind sees things that it did not see before. So now as parents, instead of saying, we've always seen, I'm stressed. I'm tired and they're not helping my life out. I'm feeding them with everything they need and they're not giving me a return on my investment. Our podcast, like other new informational, evolved information is saying, that's true, but we're not interested in that conversation. That's a conversation that's been with parents and teens from the beginning. We're interested in the connection. Parents, and I know Heidi will elaborate on this, have inherently undervalued their influence over their family members, their teenagers, and their spouses. On the daily, I listen to women tell me that their husband would never go for something and never listen to something. And then I have men said, yeah, right, I could never get my wife to do that. And then three sessions later, they're doing the exact same thing they never thought their spouse would do. You want to know why? Because they were in 2D and adding me made it 3D. I gave them a different angle to view it. That mothers, fathers that I talk to, they talk about their wives as if their wives are seven feet tall and they're two feet tall. There's some guys, not everyone, but there's some guys that are scared to death of their wives. And I talk to the exact same wife and the wife's like, I can't talk to my husband because I'm scared to death of him. As if he's seven feet tall. 
Then I have parents look at their teenager and they're acting all mad and tough around their teenager, but secretly they're scared to death of their teenager. Teenagers are acting like they don't care what their parents think and they're crying in their corners because they can't make their parents happy. They're not having a 3D approach to their issues. I, I mean, I think, I think that can be said about almost every relationship. Like, yes, this is a, that's a hard thing. Why about do you go to a girlfriend that's a mutual friend with the girlfriend you have problems with and ask her what she thinks about your guys' problems? Right. You need a third approach. It's the trifecta. The law of triangulation says that if you have a signal, if you're lost out in sea and you're a boat, and you can't send in, uh, you can't send in a distress signal. You finally get SOS. You finally do Morse code and you say, "Hey." I'm out here in the middle of nowhere. And they said, all right, where are you at? Well, our system's down, so we can't tell you where we're at. Then, okay, send your Morse code signal again. We're not going to receive it. We're going to bounce it off another tower. And by bouncing off that tower, we're going to find you. In the court of law, do you have a better chance of proving someone's innocent and guilt if you have one witness or if you have two or if you have three? So the law of triangulation says if you have two reference points, you're more likely to see where the problem's really at. This orthogonal approach is a 3D version and everything in our technology society has went from 2D to 3D. We don't listen to tapes anymore. We went to CDs. Now it's all digital. In, um, in relationships, we don't just sit there and say, oh, you know, I can't figure this out. We go and read books that someone else wrote about it. So getting back to the podcast, coming back to the future, like we went in front and then we're going back now, technically be back to the past. We're finding out that our ancestors that were listening to radio, they did something that we're lacking now. They were connecting with someone's voice. There's something still about that. There's something very just reverent about you can imagine what they're talking about because you're hearing it, but you don't see what they're saying. So back to the discussion about mental health. I, I was prompted to talk about this right now because... Um, uh, a woman that uh, Facebook messaged us who's a fan of our podcast, we had made a comment. And could you pull up the, the Instagram? I'd like to have you read that in just a moment, that post. So we made a post. Um, it was actually something that I said, and Heidi posted. said this is a message from David. So with the recent suicides. Well, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I was having a rough week. A lot of people were message, messaging me asking me how I felt, knowing that um, Kate Spade was this tr tremendous influence. To you personally, On too. me. And then the second um, celebrity uh, suicide that happened, um, Anthony, I, I was like, David, there's, there's so many things out there. And, and I made some mistakes of reading some comments. Yeah. And things that people were saying were hurtful to me. Not all the things, but you're not focusing all on some of the, the right, negative but, things. But some of the things, and I'm not even going to repeat them because... Um, when you say we're troubling for you being a mother that lost a son to suicide. Correct. Okay. Correct. Because it may not Thank have been you. troubling to other people, but to you is definitely troubling. Yeah. And it, and just, just hurtful. And, and my response was... Let's not focus on all the questions. That's always my response. Let's not focus on what we don't know. Let's focus on what we do know. The wonderful life, the stories, the... Anyway, I, 
I said to I sent David a message and just said, "Would you please weigh in on this?" Because I feel like there's a lot of people talking about it, but nothing is giving me me any mm, I don't know what the word is. I don't did I want comfort? Did I want support? Did I want peace? Did I want hope? Did I want what did I want? And so that's why I was like, "Could you tell me what I want?" To one year. Anyway, so he kind of went dark for a while, and then I got this really massive. I was thinking, you know, like 116 characters. What's a tweet like? I whatever. Don't know. And I, so and I was if thinking anyone something. knows me on my social media, look at any of my pictures. They're usually like one emoji, one word. Like <laughs> I, I talk all day long. I don't want to. Like I'm tired of hearing myself use words. So when he sent me this massive post, I was like, okay, well, I meant just something short <laughs> and I thought oh gosh this is a blog post but but I read it and it did that thing whatever it was what, whether it was comfort whatever it was it it did that for me and so so um, go ahead and read it and then we'll talk about that post and I, I that's why I brought up the orthogonal approach and I'll explain more about it after you read it the recent suicides of celebrities Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain have given us all a very serious call to action. Every one of their fans, friends, and family will answer the call. Anyone who has lost a loved one to suicide will answer the call. Everyone who has had a failed suicide attempt will answer the call. Those of us that have been fighting suicide in the suicidal thoughts in the past are, and, or are presently fighting suicidal thoughts and feelings right now will answer the call. All of us are worrying about a loved one's safety will answer the call. And this is what we will hear when we answer the call. Quote, we all have unfinished business in relationships. We live for one another's benefits and betterment. We live looking for proof that something about our life and existence is crucial and necessary for the survival of our loved ones and communities. Unquote. Here's the action. Number one, pick up your phone text, call, email, FaceTime, or schedule a get-together with people that you're concerned about or that you love. That was the side note. And tell them a bold statement that reminds them of the influence they have in your life and connection you have to them. Number two, tell them a funny story that you both experienced together. Number three, tell them the things you've admired about them and you think about but forget to share. Number four, tell them you're sorry for letting life pass by without reminding them how they have made your life more enjoyable. Don't ask them if they're okay. Remind them with bold statements of who they are to you. Don't make them come up with a response to comfort your worry like, I'm fine. If they are severely struggling and need help, they will more likely open up to a connection versus a concern. If they are sad and lonely, they will have an easier time sharing their struggle because they will not be overly concerned to bother you. If they're not struggling, the worst that can happen is that you've left a marker and a reminder in their mind that if they do struggle, they can turn to you. Reopen the connection with them instead of focusing on the loss of the connection to themselves. See these recent suicides for what they mean for us all, which is a call to action, not a call to hope. You know, when, when I came up with that, you know, Heidi had asked me to write something. I didn't know I was going to write that. But it was the first time anyone's asked me to write what I've witnessed 
for many years what I say and what I do. I actually had to put into words what I do. For many years, in the most horrific, horrible ass, at, not ass, at risk <laughs> situations with youth and with their families, I couldn't rely upon what the books told me to do to get this person help because the person wasn't admitting that they needed help. I couldn't ask them questions because they've blocked off all communication with other people. I couldn't convince them that their life was worth living. I couldn't convince them that their mistakes, their hardships, their struggles were not going to continue for the rest of their life because at the moment they felt that was going to be their life. But one thing always worked. If they liked me, they knew I liked them. If we'd ever laughed together before, if we'd ever shared a moment, when I reminded them of those moments, when I told them that they weren't crazy because they thought they were crazy, because crazy people don't know they're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> they would chuckle, they would laugh, and I shared on this podcast before and I've shared it in some of our events. One of the most powerful suicide prevention tactics I stumbled upon because I was scared and didn't know what to say. And a girl told me she was gonna take her life. And she told me all the reasons why. And I just stopped and I had to think if I were her, what would I be feeling at this moment? And I told her, you know, to be honest with you, if I were you, I'd wanna kill myself too. And when I said it out of my mouth, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just said that. And then she looked at me and was like, right? Like, I'm not crazy, right? I go, no. I was like, whoo, that was a close call because I didn't know what to say. But I had to be vulnerable at that moment and say, since I don't know what to say, what would I feel if I were her? That girl had been raped, molested. And I was like, yeah, I would want to kill myself. I, I was not being joking. I was being dead serious. And then after that, I said, now, Make it be clear. I don't want you to kill yourself. You know that, right? She goes, no, I know you don't want me to kill myself, but that started It was the first time that ever somebody had, had, instead of telling them over and over, no, you can't feel that, that way. You exactly. shouldn't feel that way. That's wrong. Why we do don't. you feel that way? Yeah. So don't you know you have lots to live for? How many people love you? Don't but you, you know, know what's missing? interesting about that? And maybe I guess this is your whole point is that is a, a, a what, what was that? Ortho that is an orthogonal thing. And even this, what you're talking about, this, I guess this is why this, it's all coming, it's connecting for me. You guys, you know, I'm a little slower than most. But when you talk about the problem that is the unsolvable, unanswerable question, go to that second reference point, which is remember all the fun times. Remember. That, that one time this. Remember how funny you are? Remember how... Bring them back to a time where they weren't suicidal. Right. Because suicide, everyone listening to this has lost someone to suicide. In a post, I can't possibly explain all this. That's why I got to say this on the podcast. One person messaged in and said that she had a hard time with what, we, what I had said. And I responded to her and said, I get it. And then I told her where I was coming from. We've had great conversations since then. But she trusted 
that we were trying to help. She knew that it wasn't coming from a bad place. But like you, Heidi, she's lived this. And when you well, and live here's what's this, here's it was what, hard for you. You said, I actually relate to her. I know exactly what she's here, talking about. Here's what, what happened is that when I, anytime, anytime anybody says like, here's the, here's the secret to suicide prevention. Read this article, follow these five steps. Here's this infographic on Pinterest. I have looked at all of them and thought, how could I have saved Corey's life? You compare it to your scenario. Every, every time. single time. And every time I'm like, I took him to therapy. I called him. I told him I loved him. I made him eggs. You know, whatever was the thing. Like, I haven't found that thing. And so when it says here, you know, call up and tell him that you love him. But the thing that, so, so I, I get where she was coming from. Like, Oh yeah. When, when we think like here, here's, and here's my situation. I did try a lot of things and I still lost him. And that's, that sucks. And that's where the failure comes in. That's, which is what. And we want to protect our shame. Well, that, that's what every single person who has lost a loved one to suicide is struggling with, is wondering about, is wishing they could have done something different. That's why this podcast is born. That's why we're sitting here talking is because I wish that I would have known better. And they could have done everything right, but they're still going to have shame, meaning feeling like they could have done more. That's why it's that true. answer never really resonates. Right. So to give, to go back to the, to, to the comment, when we're talking about a different approach, if you noticed, I did not say this is what you should do for suicide prevention. I was not addressing suicide prevention. I'm not addressing the stigmas of mental health. I have no interest in those conversations. And I'm a mental health specialist and a suicide prevention specialist. <laughs> and here's the reason why I'm not interested in those conversations. It is the outcome. The person is not a suicidal person. That's what they went through. That's what they experienced. It is not a reflection of who, it's not their identity. It's not who they were, their life. It might've been what they struggle with. If you struggle with mental health disorders, you're not saying my name is bipolar, bipolar the third because my dad and his dad, and, you know, <laughs> that's not your identity. It's not on your social security card. It's not on your driver's license. It's not who you are. Unfortunately, it is what you're going through. So instead of, so a lot of people post out there and, and here's what I wanted to give some people a different way of looking at it because of the celebrities lately that have died of suicide and so many influential people are affected, they're now, okay, now they're in the game. Now, that's why I said they're gonna get the call. And everybody, when they answer the call, they're gonna try to do something. But what if you're doing things that are not connected to activating your influence in your relationship? So here's the way I like to put it. Because of Logic the Rapper, and because of a lot of good advertisement and media and people sharing the suicide hotline, Tons of people know the suicide hotline number, the phone number, and they don't have to have it memorized. They just Google it and it comes up. That's not a problem. So why would I have that conversation? Here is the challenge. How many people know how to have a connection, how to build the foundation of a relationship so that you can get a person who's struggling to use that number? It's a whole different conversation. And with all due respect to the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention 
every single suicide prevention tactic out there that teaches you how to talk to someone about suicide if they're feeling that way. Everything that they're saying is right. And it's actually missing something. What it's missing is that part where I talked about people respond more to a connection than a concern. And and that that's where... I would that, not change anything from anything that they do except where their first step say, ask someone if they're feeling suicidal. I would say that's the second. I, we talk about this all the time. Statements are bold and powerful. Questions. You don't know what is the intent of someone asking that question. You don't know why they're asking it. You don't know. And of course, you're not just going to walk up. And by the way, all these organizations, I support them. I have I completely support them. But what they lack is when you're in these situations over and over and over and over and again, and everybody's looking at you saying, what do we do? You have to be honest with what works sometimes and what works more often. I just connected a couple dots that if you're asking a question, I got looks from people. They weren't sure why I was asking the question. Some people, here's how, here's the reason why we think asking questions should be number one is because it actually works sometimes. Sometimes you ask someone a question, say, sometimes you could ask your teenager, let's use that example. Let's ask your, your older teenage daughter, because we always use her as the guinea pig. You ask her, say, hey, uh, how was your day today? She may just start talking about your day. It may work sometimes. I found that the probability of, ask, of making a statement instead of asking a question, just reframing it into a statement works a whole lot more. Well, I can tell you that how many people do I run into a day that ask me how I am? Probably 25. But I don't tell anybody how I am at the, at the gas station or even at church. Like, it's like, trust me, they do not have time to hear how yeah. I am. You know, and so an orthogonal approach to what you just said is the people that know you the best. So as I was having a conversation one time with uh, my buddy, Sean, um, he used to be a UFC fighter. He lost a fight really bad and he had a radio show and my show was starting after it. And I walked up to him. He looked at me and made eye contact. This is like a bad dude, a tough guy. He made eye contact with me and put his head down, looked at the ground. He was ashamed. I walked up and said, Hey. Love you, bro. Proud of you. Gave him a little side hug. And he looked at me and we had a conversation. He goes, you know what? It's funny. He's like, on social media, people are like, why did you like duck from the left? And like, you should have done this. And, like, and he goes, I can tell by the depth. I'll never forget what he said. He goes, I can tell by the depth of the connection I have with someone based upon how long their post was. My best friends gave me time and didn't say anything. People that I was close with said, love you, champ. Just total statements. They didn't say, well, you know, I'm worried about you. Are you okay? They didn't try to comfort me and like, you know, you're going to do better next time. And they didn't try to convince me that I'm still good when I didn't feel good. They said, love you, champ. You're the best. Proud of you. You're amazing. He goes, for some reason, the relationships that were the closest to me, the people, guess what? He opened up and told me how he really felt because I didn't ask him any questions and say anything. So we undervalue as parents our influence over teenagers. So that call to action on that post was telling people you undervalue 
your power in the relationships in your life. So if a celebrity reads that post, if a regular person reads that post, I want them to walk away and say, this is not about suicide prevention. This is about connection. And that connection will be your greatest ally to stopping someone from taking their life. And it's not 100% accurate. It's not always going to work, but I'm all about probability. I would rather have a higher percent probability that I'm going to set myself up to have a relationship that could be life-saving support. Because at the end of the day, you can't save people's lives every time. There's no way you're going to be guaranteed that if you do all the right parenting tactics that your kids aren't going to go vape. Hence one of our other DM questions. There's no guarantee that you're going to be able to do everything. You brought your kid to therapy. You brought him to a guy that everybody said is the best. And it still didn't work out. But wouldn't you rather take a risk that's more proven and a risk that actually has a higher percentage of probability. So I'm not saying suicide prevention approach is wrong. I'm just saying the conversation has more room if we're not focusing on the outcome, but if we're focusing on what creates someone to get to that point. So I didn't say this is suicide prevention steps 10. And I don't, if someone says, Hey, here's 10 steps. I think all those 10 steps are right, but I think there's another level that we're missing a greater focus on, which is the power of your influence, aka the connection, your relationship to building mental and emotional health in that person. It takes social health. I want to I want to read one of the comments that yeah, exactly. was on our Instagram because it gave me an additional layer of perspective. Because here I was, and by the again. way, you guys are listening to our podcast. We are not the end-all, be-all. Your comments were like, wow. We yeah. take notes on the stuff of you say. That woman that messaged in, she said some things. I'm like, hey, could you share some things that you yeah. learned? Because I learned by putting down my old ego and pride that I had as a young man. I'd never ask someone for help or I'd never give a guy a compliment. Now I'm like, hey, how did you figure that out? I'm like, I'm, I'm just curious. Like, what the heck's going on? So if you have information you share posts with us, it does influence us. Go ahead. So she reads this, or she says this. She says, I love this. Now, what I was going to say is, here I am thinking again, my brain immediately going back to Corey, right? And, yep. and, and so I'm kind of like lost in the past. And I, I mean, I live there a lot. But you work and, hard to be aware that your situation is, it is unique, but it's not so unique that you can't hear other people's messages. Absolutely. But so I really... Um, this gave me, okay, anyway, I'm going to read it. I love this. I deal with a chronic illness that isn't going to, quote, get better. Having people ask me if I'm feeling better and seeing the disappointment in their eyes for me when I'm feeling the same amount of crappy, I just say, oh, means that I just say I'm good. In other words, because she doesn't want to see people be sad for her or feel bad for her because she doesn't feel better. I'd love just to connect with people instead of being a check-in. Any chronic illness, physical or mental, is isolating. Lessen the isolation. I think for the, f for the first time... <laughs> Again, you guys had to tell it to her because she doesn't listen to me. <laughs> no, this was very powerful. Go ahead. I was like... Oh, you mean... I'm not the only one that struggles, you know, I'm not the only one, or this isn't all about me, or this isn't all about Corey. I, man, it just gave me, you know, it. in this case, I have a chronic teenager 
in my household, <laughs> right? And it's not going to get better. I'm like she's gonna, she's going to have to go through that whole entire thing. Yeah. And, and she's got a mom that lost a teenager to suicide, and you're not going to get better from that anytime soon. And and so and then I thought about the people who are really afraid to ask me how I'm doing, or really afraid to get close to me because they're afraid that they're not going to know what to say. And you know, when you go and be around like particularly at church, you go around people that you have known forever. They know intimate things about you. They know your life, their story, and they, they do feel bad for you and they aren't sure what to say. But there are other things to talk about. Then the one thing that sucks in your life, like why do we do that? Like every senior that just graduated is going through that what what interrogation by every single human they know oh you just graduated great so what are your plans and you're like well i by the way a little side note you know how many teenagers confessed to me that they signed up for things that they didn't want to do but they didn't want to have nothing to do like they didn't want to be the person at the dinner table telling their grandparents that what do you do just play Fortnite and hang out (laughs) (laughs) i'm going to college wear it at this college I didn't apply for, but I think they're going to let me in someday. And so you start telling stories because you don't want to be that person. I mean, Quincy, Quincy just barely, she's going to be a senior and already people are like, Oh, so what are you going to do after? And she's like, we sat down and wrote up a response because that was so much anxiety. And it is every single person that comes in contact. Well, great. What are you going to do after school? And she's like, could I just freaking get through this next year? Can I just get through you know, this what's month? You know what's so funny is so many teenagers confess to me. They say, my whole entire life up before my senior year, I'm telling people, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. But they start getting closer to adulthood, and they're like, I don't know how to do any of those things. <laughs> <laughs> like, crap, I've been selling something that I can't deliver on. Or they can, but they just don't know that they can. Well, Anyways, I know. Sorry. There's other things yeah. to talk to Quincy yeah. about besides what she's going to do. There's other things to talk to me about besides my son's suicide. Yes. And... How many people do you think have introduced you to someone, and when you turn around and walked away, they say, yeah, she lost her son to suicide. Every single one, 100%. I did the exact same thing with my cousin one time. So my cousin and his wife, they, their little boy tragically was ran over by a neighbor on his big wheel in their cul-de-sac and, and died. Everyone was doing the same thing. It's like, oh, instead of they had this great business, this beautiful house, it was like, and one time I turned and said that. He didn't even hear me say that. And I stopped myself. I'm like, what am I doing? That's my cousin. That's a brother to me. He, that's what happened. He's so much more than that. But unfortunately, we focus on those hurt and pain, those negative points. And the last thing that you want to be identified is, oh, yeah, that's the woman that lost her son to suicide. Even though you lost your son to suicide. You don't want that to be your label. Well, I just think that there's other things we can talk about while we're waiting for Sunday school to start yeah you know or, or whatever so so when we have people that we know they're struggling we know why they're struggling we're aware we see it we know that there's all these issues how about if we don't talk about those issues how about if we talk about 
Well, how about we let the issues come up organically? Because like, I use that reference in my friend. And, and that's true. That's that, true. Like, you don't want to not talk about it if they need to talk about it. But Well, surprisingly, people want to talk about their issues, but they want to choose to talk about their issues. Connect first, I guess. That's why I said people respond better to first through a connection, like that woman said, versus a concern. Showing concern is usually the way that we've been conditioned. If we care for someone, we're going to show concern. And by no means I'm saying you can't ask questions, you can't show concern. What I am saying is if you're really concerned, you need to focus on connection first. And then they will share with you what the concern is. When I meet with teenagers, and if you're a therapist out there listening to this, try this. When I meet with teenagers, traditionally therapists are supposed to ask a series of questions to get information from the teenager. The first time I meet with teenagers, I don't ask them one question. Maybe at the very end, I'll ask them permission if I could then ask them a question, but it gives them power to either accept that or not accept that. Have you ever had somebody be like, no? Never. Not one time. <laughs> and I've never had anyone say they won't come back. Not one time. Because I use that orthogonal approach and I say, you know what? Especially if they've been to counseling before, I say, you know what? I'll tell you what. I could sit here and ask you a bunch of questions like how many times you snuck out, do you look at pornography, are you depressed, and all that stuff that you're supposed to write on the paper. I put the papers down. I said, but can I just take a minute to tell you what I'm all about? And if you think I'm legit, great. But if you think I'm, you know, full of crap, you don't have to come back. And I'll go tell your parents you have to come back. And they sit back. They go, okay. And so I just start talking. I'm like, yeah, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, like how people, relationships, life's all about relationships. You know, I help teens, you know, you know help their parents to see them differently, you know, see you as a partner instead of like your, they're your little baby, help you make better friends and better relationships, help you their self-confidence. Cause if you're more self-confident, math is going to be easier. You're going to perform better on your sports or whatever it is you're important. And so to help you have a better relationship with yourself and people around you. And you get to pick whatever you want to talk about, what other relationships are important to you. We do that, but these are just things I can offer. So yeah. What do you think about that? I then they start saying stuff and they go, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then after that, I said, all right, well, do you want to come back? If not, I'll go tell your parent, you don't have to come back. Yeah, I want to do it. I go, okay, but you got to do it for you. So go out there and tell your parent, it's your choice to come back and you're going to focus on things that you want to focus on. And we'll let them in after we talk a little bit, 100% of the time. All I did was I focused on building a connection in school. They told me you have to build rapport. That's what they call it. You have to build rapport. Well, at least back when I was going to school. And then once you build rapport, then you move on to the agenda, which is to fix said broken person. The problem is the rapport was a setup. It okay. wasn't a relationship. They told you to hide behind your mantle. Well, I said, this is the impression. They didn't say this. You're a therapist. You're a professional. You have to have a professional relationship. And then they scare you with all the different ways you can get sued. Do you know the statistics show that the doctors that are less likely to get sued are the people, the doctors that people like? They have better bedside manner. They're nicer. They're calm. They're relaxed. They joke with them. They feel like they're going to go see their friend that just happens to be a doctor. Same thing with me. Parents are less likely to, they may be mad or angry with me because I'm suggesting crazy things and, you know, things aren't going the way and they I want. And I can testify to <laughs> Things aren't going the way they want. But they keep on coming back because they like me and they know that I'm not trying to hurt their feelings. So connection opens up people to share their shame. But if your agenda, if you're checking a box to get rapport and checking a box to connect or check in with someone, they feel it. 
they know it's not sincere and genuine. And if they've had a hundred people do that, they're looking for one person to not do that. And if you're the one person that figures out how to open up the connection to who they are, who they could be, or there's funny experiences and stories, like I suggest in those actions, then they'll go, Hey, well, you know, I, I, I'm glad you brought up those old times because, you know, I haven't had a lot of those lately. And then you can play dumb and go, Oh, really? You haven't had good times lately? Cause I know we haven't talked in a while and I'm sorry, but wow, like, you know, what you been going, what's been going on? Ask all the questions you want after the connection, right. but you got to get the connection first. And your agenda has to be not to fix them just to be with them. Well, I think that you've given me a lot. You've given, I think all of us a, a lot to think about. And now I'm like, all thinking about the, Orthogonal. Yeah, ortho. I, I keep calling them, I want to call it an octagonal, but ortho, like ortho. Okay, so if we're all going to remember this, I have to do this. It's like orthotics on your feet. Stranger, uh, strange, yeah. Strange. There you go, something. So I, I, think that, I think that as you are in relationship, in situations, maybe it's a conflict situation. Maybe it's a difficult situation with somebody, maybe your child, maybe somebody else. Think about how you can, it's not necessarily a deflection, but just go at it from a different angle. And, and that means not to, not to ignore a problem, not to sweep anything under the rug. Um, we're just talking about an entry point. Well, I, I think, think instead of using orthogonal, that's just the literal terminology. I prefer to look at it. We need to put the 3D glasses on. We need to see it in 3D. We've been looking at it with two eyes. We need to add another angle to the equation because we're missing something. And so when I talk about when people always say, like, you go to conferences, people are like, is it the cell phones? Is it this? Usually when people say, I think this is the problem for our kids and our youth. They're speaking from their experience, their 2D perception, the way they see mm -hmm. it. And I tell them all, yeah, you're absolutely right. Every single one of you are right. But that's still not a solution. <laughs> right. Okay, so we identified that that kids are, are, you know, they're totally, you know, in this world where they think everything belongs to them and they don't want to work hard and they, they should have everything given to them. And, you know, everybody gets an instant gratification with video games and this and that. Okay, everybody's right. Okay, we still got nowhere towards a solution. So if we take a 3D approach, we say, all right, the phones are a problem. However, they're also exposing the problem. They're showing us a 3D that we need to be more socially connected. Otherwise, we don't evolve. Man, we just, all I wanted to do was talk about surfing. That, that was, we could have, stopped. I don't know if we would have lost a lot of listeners. Like, where the hell is David going with surfing? And, you know, usually the confession, usually when I go surfing, I do less surfing and more yelling that there's not waves. Cause I only get to go for a couple days and it's never good. And then my wife's got to hear about it for a week. I'm like, it sucks. And I bought a brand new surfboard and I just paddled around on it and I'm all bummed out. But ideally, if you take a 3d approach to surfing, I'm just happy that I'm there. I got Being in the moment and I'd rather be on a beach getting suntanned by the ocean, and the water than at a pool for me personally. So, <laughs> well, you guys, thanks for listening. And if you, if you actually haven't, 
had the chance to read that post for yourself. Um, I encourage you to go back and read it. It's on our Facebook page at Light the Fight. It's also on our Instagram page at Light the Fight. And I actually encourage you to read the comments. Um, I don't know if you take time, so, you know, I, I really like to read comments. And some of the comments have multiple replies. Um, and so it just gives you this more and more of that 360 degree angle um, as we as we look at it. And in in true form, we we aren't afraid to hear a criticism or a a red flag or or if it doesn't sit well with you, that's that's okay. Um, we're we're here to hear you and to be a safe place and to be a part of the solution. And that's why, you know, we have set ourselves up to be accessible to you via email, which that can happen. Um, you can email us at lightthefightpodcast at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on Facebook through Facebook Messenger, which is my least favorite, but you can. Um, <laughs> and you can also message us, us um on Instagram uh, in the DMs and so if you are if you are listening to a podcast that is giving you insight if you read a book that you love that has helped Please you out it. if you see a if you see a quote if you have a win share it back with us and help us to connect your win with everybody else because that's giving us strength that's giving us that 3d approach and that opportunity to see things differently than we can ourselves, because we're not we're not going to get anywhere. We're not, we're not going to create change. We're not going to evolve. We're not going to improve social health health without working together. That's that's the point of this. So, and I wanted to share one last message, and the post, like Heidi talked about, is some actionable steps, not for suicide prevention but to have life-saving connections and betterment connections, like to better your connections. But the last message I'd like to share is specifically for people that are in the extreme unfortunate club that Heidi's in, uh, that have lost loved ones to suicide, or maybe you haven't lost a loved one to suicide, but you've been suicidal or you've had a suicide attempt in your family that my message for you is even though you've lost someone or you have the fear of losing someone, our existence is to better other people's lives. And our also existence is for us to be happy. I believe that those are like dancing partners. If we're bettering other people's lives, it makes us happier. If we're happier, we have more to benefit other people's lives. So for those people who have lost, I have complete love and reverence and respect for your experience. And if we ever say anything on this podcast, like Heidi said, that is upsetting or you don't understand, please let us know. But the last thing that I'm going to say is that suicide, that is not what you want to be remembered for. That's not what your loved one wants to be remembered for. And even though it is what they've gone through, or what you may be enduring, or what you may be going through, you have more reason to live when you have more people worth living for. So as Heidi, 
You lost your son. But you want to work on the unfinished business for the other relationships in your life. The only thing, you can't replace your son, you can't replace that hole in your heart, but you can strengthen your heart. You can strengthen your resolve. You can strengthen your ability to have better connections because trips will never be funner to Newport without your son. We talked about my love for the water. What do you think me and your son connected on the first time? Vans? And when he found out I was a surfer, he lit up like a Christmas tree. He's like, really? And he just talked for 20 minutes about he's loved me in the water. And you're like, yeah, we can't get that kid out of the damn water every single time we go there. I was the same kid. Everybody's leaving like we're closing the beach. Not that they really close it, but I'm like, I have one more wave, one more this. So those memories remind you of Corey, but also remind you how important it is to build those memories with your other kids. You've made a business out of it, Heidi. And everyone else out there, if you lost a kid to suicide and if you have other relationships in your life that you have unfinished business on, your hurt and pain for the loss needs to be what it is. And those other relationships and proven those needs to be what that is. They're separate things. You don't have to heal completely to better your relationships. And nobody wants to be a victim. We all want to be victorious. So thank you for listening to our podcast. Thank you for considering the things that we're saying. And we do truly love you all. Yeah. And, and thank you. I appreciate that. That's it. I got, I got nothing else. <laughs> I'm looking at her again. The queue. <laughs> I'm all not. Right. I got nothing else. I'm, oh, well, it. you are going to be abandoning us. Oh, that is true. I should mention that. Um, and if any of you guys, okay, so Heidi's not going to be here for two weeks. You're going to be stuck listening to me without her and I've got abandonment issues and she didn't tell me till 30 seconds ago. I'm just kidding. She, I knew she was leaving, but we're going to miss her for a couple weeks. She's going out of the country. So David says that he's going to tell you his deep, dark secrets so he can connect. With no, I said I'll consider sharing a little bit more about me. So, you know, if, if you guys want to take a break for two weeks from the podcast, this would be the time to do it. Um, because you know, next podcast, I might share a little bit more just about like how I came to where I'm at and you can learn some stuff about me. DM us if you don't want me to share anything about me <laughs> and I'll avoid that. And David then, has quite a, quite a story and there's, and there's so many stories. So I wish they weren't all true, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I'll be here, uh, just talking about some things. I'll still be answering your DMS and, uh, but we all will be missing Heidi. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to go do the thing that I love. And, um, I, I have to say, if there's any listeners from Australia, shout out to my Australia, New Zealand, um, friends and fans. Um, I'm going down to Australia and I, I haven't been there for a long time. Um, but I've been, I've, I've been going there for a long time and I'm pretty excited. Brisbane is one of my very favorite cities in the whole world. So I get to go there. So All right. I'm excited. We're going to, we're going to make pretty stuff. That's great. Well, before she leaves, we will be announcing the day and the location of our first seminar in August, as we talked about last time. So uh, if you guys are interested in that, tune in, and we will be announcing that sometime next week. Yeah. All right. That, that was it. Now I really don't have anything else to say. Now we're out. <laughs>